You know, we live in a day where it's hard to find a true hero. I mean, it's just, it just really is. But tomorrow is Veterans Day in our country, and as far as I'm concerned, the true heroes are the men and women who have and do serve in one of our armed branches. And if you're one of those, would you stand today so we can honor you and recognize you? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for making it possible for us to gather in a place like this and to worship God freely without fear of anybody coming in here and shutting this service down. So thank you and God bless you for what you have done and for what you do. Now, let me ask a question. Do we have, just curious before I get into the sermon, do we have any college football fans in the sanctuary today in the worship center? A few, have quite a few. Yesterday, I hate to brag on my Baylor Bears, but we are undefeated. We're 9-0 and now, and so that's a good thing. And then a little later in the day yesterday, I don't know if you happened to see the game of the century between Alabama and LSU. All the Cajuns are clapping now. All the Cajuns. You know, have you noticed it seems like about every three years we have a game of the century? You're only supposed to have one every 100 years, but game of the century. No, it should just be the game of the year. But it was a great game, and if you saw the first of the game, you saw that the president was there. Such a big game, the president went to the game, and yet they only showed the, him on the camera one time, and I was wondering as the game went on, who is he for? I mean, he's trying to have, you know, followings out of both states. I wonder who he's for, and then I had this thought. Just like I have no idea who the president was really for at the game yesterday, Sometimes you can't tell who is really a Christian and who isn't a Christian. Do you know that? Jesus said that in this life that Christians are like wheat and non-Christians are like tares. Tares is just another word for weeds. And Jesus said the wheat and the tares, they grow together. And from a distance, you really can't tell what's the wheat and what's the tares. And Jesus said, if I were to go down there and start separating the tares and the weeds and pulling them out of the wheat, that would damage the wheat. So he said, I'm going to just let the Christians and the non-Christian, the wheat and the tares, I'm going to just let them grow together. And one of these days, at the end of time, they will be separated and it will be obvious who is who. Now... If you'll open your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 13, I want to show you another time when it will be very obvious who is truly a Christian and who is not. This morning, we're thinking about the mark of the beast. If you're visiting with us, we are studying through the book of Revelation on Sunday mornings, and we're to the part now we're studying through the period of great tribulation that will one day come on the earth after all Christians have been taken to heaven, all hell will break loose on earth, and it's going to be a terrible, terrible time. The Antichrist will emerge as the political leader of the world, and under his reign, if we can call it that, people will begin to take the mark of the beast on their right hand or either across their forehead, and the mark of the beast will identify them as a follower of the Antichrist. Now, the mark will allow them to go into the grocery store and buy food, to go to a restaurant and get a meal, to put gas in their car. It will allow them to buy the necessities of life. 
And so this morning we're going to be thinking about the mark of the beast and what is all this like. And so on that particular day, it will be obvious who's saved and who's not. Because if a person takes the mark of the beast, you know they're not saved. And if a person doesn't have the mark of the beast, you know that they have gotten saved during the tribulation. Now, Revelation 13 is where we are today. And the last time we were together studying this, we saw that in verses 1 through 10... Uh, is a clear description of the Antichrist himself. I did a whole sermon on the Antichrist and how he will uh, emerge from the masses of humanity and become a political leader who will himself demand to be worshipped as God. That's always what the devil has wanted, to receive the worship that belongs to God and to God alone. Beginning in verse number 11, though, we read about the false prophet. Now, in this chapter, they're both called a beast, beast one and beast two. Beast one is the Antichrist. Interestingly enough, the word Antichrist does not appear in the book of Revelation. You'll never find the word Antichrist in Revelation. That term is, is told us in John, in 1 John. We read about the Antichrist. But it is exceedingly clear that this first beast is the Antichrist, and the second beast is the false prophet. Now, remember what I said last time. In the Holy Trinity, there are three members, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, there is an unholy trinity made up of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And so today, we're reading about the false prophet, and he's described here as the beast from the earth. Let's pick up in number, verse number 11 and read through the rest of the chapter. John said, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and spoke like a dragon. And so the false prophet is more subtle than the Antichrist. He has the appearance here of a lamb. He will be more of a religious leader, whereas the Antichrist is more of a political leader. And so while the false prophet will try to appear to be a lamb, notice it says he spoke like a dragon. He's got the devil in his heart. He is inspired by the devil and he's given authority by the devil, but he tries to come across as the great peacemaker. Verse 12. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was gathered, granted to do in the sight of the beast." telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Now, this is a little bit complicated here, maybe confusing. What is, the Bible is saying here is that during the tribulation, an image of the Antichrist will be made. And this image will be placed in the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem in the most holy place, the place that is reserved for the presence of God alone. And at this time, the false prophet will empower that image to speak. It is as though he will give life to that image so that the Antichrist now, in the form of that image, will be in the temple there in Jerusalem demanding everybody to worship him. And if people don't worship him, he will have them killed. And so it's a, it's, it's a very interesting thing that will happen. Verse 16, he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand 
or on their foreheads. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And so it's not expressed 100% here clearly in Scripture. But perhaps this will not only be a visible mark that would identify people as followers of the Antichrist. But perhaps the mark will be like an electronic device. Kind of like a credit card that you would have on your hand or on your forehead. So that if you go to Target or Walmart or some other store, that when it got time to pay, you would no longer pay with cash. Because remember in the tribulation, it will, be, it will become a cashless society. There will be a one world government led and headed up by the Antichrist. And even in the day in which we live, we're coming kind of to the end of cash. Nobody's much carrying cash anymore. Everybody's using a credit or debit card. At this time, it will be evidently the mark of the beast, perhaps anyway, that will have an electronic device. And so you want to buy something, they just scan your hand or they scan your head. If it's not electronic, maybe they just look at your head or you look at your hand and then they take your credit card. It's not 100% clear, but perhaps it has uh, both capacities there. Verse 18, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, his number is 666. Six. That is the mark of the beast, and that is how the Antichrist's followers will be identified during the tribulation. Now, let's think about that number for just a moment. 666. What is the significance of that? Well, the number six in Scripture is the number of man. We know in, from Genesis that man was created on the sixth day, and so six is the number of man. We also know that the number six is one less than the number seven. Now, where could you go to get information like this, right? That six is less than seven. In the Bible, seven is the number of perfection. Not only in the Bible, but in life. But certainly in the Bible, there's seven days in the week. There's seven notes on the musical scale. Seven is the perfect number. Man, is his number is six. It's not perfect. It is imperfect. It is one short of seven. And so we know that the number six is the number of imperfect man. Now, why three sixes? Why not five or two or eight? Why three sixes? In the Bible, three is the number of God. We worship God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The song we just sang earlier talked about Jesus, and it described him as one who was in the past, one who is in the present, and one who will be in the future. It takes three tenses to describe God, past, present, and future. In Isaiah chapter 6, we read about the seraphim, the angels around the throne of God, and they were worshiping, and their song said, holy, holy, holy. Holy is God the Father, holy is God the Son, and holy is the Holy Spirit. And so three, the number three represents God. And so when you put three sixes together, what do you have? You have man pretending to be God. You have man trying to look like God and trying to uh, get the worship that belongs to only God alone. And so that's what 666 symbolizes, man trying to be God. Now, the material that we're studying this morning and all the way through the book of Revelation is prophetic. It's talking about something that will happen in the future. And so as we study it, we're informed. We learn about the future events. But as I was preparing this, and I'm trying to do this in, in most of these sermons, uh, some I've done not as well maybe as I, as I could have and should have, but what I'm trying to do is not just to show us what will happen in the future, but to pull out some application 
that we can apply to our life right here and right now that will help us to live a better life. And so the question I want to raise this morning is, what can we learn from the mark of the beast? I've already described it, we've read about it, and we understand what will one day happen, but what can we learn from the mark of the beast that will help us in our lives today? Well, three things, and I've place these in your bulletin if you want to fill in some blanks. The first point has to do with how Satan operates in our life today. And here's what I want to say. The mark of the beast, like all of Satan's devices, offers short-term pleasure but leads to long-term pain. Now think about this. Short-term pleasure, long-term pain. That's how the devil works. He comes to us and he says, if you'll get away from the Bible, if you'll stay away from the church, if you'll forget what God would have you to do and don't think so much about these things and just look at life and do what makes you happy. Do what you want to do. If you'll just do that, you will be pleasurable and you will be happy. And he's right for a little while. The Bible says there's fun in sin for a season, but eventually that fun, it turns to gravel in our mouth, and it turns to gravel in our stomach, and it becomes very, very bitter. So the devil always wants us to meet our own needs and just to do what seems best for the moment. He doesn't want us to look at the consequences of our behavior. Now, during the tribulation, that's what the mark of the beast will do. Think about it. The people who take the mark of the beast can go to Walmart. They can go to the restaurant and eat. They can put gas in their car. They can travel. They can function. They can have the necessities of life. And the people who refuse the mark of the beast can't do any of those things. And so those who take the mark of the beast will think, we have clearly chosen the right side to be on. The mark of the beast is enabling us to do all these things. And so for a while, it will appear that the mark of the beast was to their advantage, but it's not. Look in chapter 14 and in verse number 9. This is, the, this is the outcome. You see, the devil never wants you to see the outcome. When, when the devil tempts us to sin, he just wants to, to focus on what makes us happy right now. He doesn't want us to see what will happen later on. Chapter 14, verse 9, it says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image... And receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. So that's how it ends. These people who take the mark and they think, man, that was a good decision. Let's go have lunch. They do not, they do not realize that it's only a matter of time until they will end up in hell forever. Because once they take the mark of the beast, it is like they have crossed a line that they can never go back from. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls, you know there's a point in that Niagara River as it's going to the falls, there's a sign that says the point of no return. And so if you're up there swimming in that area and you cross that sign, the current is so strong, you can't turn around and go back. Well, in the tribulation, when a person takes the mark of the beast, they have passed the point of no return. They can't get that mark off. They have made a decision for Satan that will follow them for all eternity. And so it says to me, the devil always offers short-term pleasure and long-term pain. And let me just say one other thing while I'm talking about the devil here. The devil not only hates you, 
The devil, even if, even if a person, think about this, even if a person said that they were going to become a Satan worshiper and worship the devil for the rest of their life, even then the devil would still hate you. The devil hates everybody. The devil's goal is to deceive people, to make them ultimately miserable, and then to drag them by the neck and take them to hell. That is the devil's goal. And so the devil, don't ever get the idea that the devil has anything good in mind for you. He doesn't. And when he's dangling that bait and tempting you to sin, it's because he's trying to pull you down and somehow ruin your life in the end. And so the devil, the scripture says, will give people a number. He doesn't even care about your name. The scripture teaches us that God does care about our name. I read in my Bible this morning, just in my own reading, in Isaiah 43, God said, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. God gives us a name. We read in Revelation chapter 2 that one day God will give us a white stone and on that stone there'll be a new name that nobody knows. We're going to get to that sermon eventually that nobody knows the meaning of that name except for us in Jesus. It's a personal name. And when we get to heaven one day, Jesus is going to write his name across our foreheads. And so think about this. Satan gives us, a not us, but he gives people who follow him a number. He didn't even care about your name. Whereas God gives us a name and ultimately he gives us his own name. So the devil is all about short-term pleasure leading to long-term pain. Now the second thing I think we can learn from the mark of the beast is this. The mark of the beast proves that if you reject Christ now, you will most certainly reject Christ during the tribulation. If a person hears the gospel today and chooses, they understand, it's not like they didn't understand, they understood and they made a willful, deliberate choice to reject Jesus Christ in this life. I believe, and I'm going to show you a verse in just a moment that I think teaches that, that during the tribulation, that person will not be able to, to get saved. Now, let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. This is a verse that I've been wanting to bring out at some point during our study and just haven't had the right time, but I think this is a good time. Now, we do know that many people will get saved during the tribulation, and so I think sometimes we read that. I mean, a multitude of people will be saved during the tribulation, and we have the idea that these are people who had come to church, who had heard the gospel, who had never been saved, and then during the tribulation, they get a second chance and they get saved. And Maybe, maybe some of them will get saved. But I'll say this. From my understanding of Scripture, I can't find a single verse that would indicate that a person who had a chance to be saved during this dispensation of time and said no to Christ, that they will be saved during the tribulation. I can't find that. In fact, I find something that seems to say just the opposite. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, and Paul is talking now about the Antichrist, and he says, and then the lawless one, that's another name for the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. Now watch this. They did not receive the love of the truth that they, may, that they might be saved. So these are people who had a chance to be saved. They did not receive Christ. They rejected the gospel. Now they're in the tribulation, and we think, oh, good, now they get a second chance, so now they can be saved. Well, maybe so, maybe not, but look at verse number, uh, look at ver verse number 11. And for this reason, 
God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, what is the lie? The lie is the lie of the Antichrist, that's, that, as he proclaims to be the true Christ. And so that is the lie. And here are people who have previously had a chance to be saved. They've chosen not to be saved. Now they're in the tribulation. And what does the Scripture say? It says that God will send them strong delusion so that they should believe the lie. My understanding of this passage is people who have had a chance to be saved and refused Christ during the tribulation, their hearts will be so hardened, God will give them strong delusion, and they will just naturally go after Satan and the Antichrist and all the propaganda that they're putting forth. It kind of reminds me of something in the Old Testament. We read about Pharaoh and how Moses had gone to Pharaoh and said repeatedly, Pharaoh, God has sent me to say to you, let my people go. And the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then we begin to read something different. It says, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And now you're wondering, well, who's hardening Pharaoh's heart? Is, it he, is he doing it or is God doing it? Well, they're both doing it. But the sense in which God is doing it is God now is letting Pharaoh's heart go in the direction that it has always wanted to go. There's no longer any conviction from the Holy Spirit. There's no longer any wooing by the Spirit of God to get Pharaoh to do right. And this even seems to be stronger than that. At the tribulation, not only will God at this point stop convicting those who have, re- who, who have rejected Christ, but God will send them, the Scripture says, a strong delusion that they should believe the lie, which says to me, if a person willfully, knowingly, deliberately rejects Christ in this dispensation of time, in this life, when that person gets to the tribulation, I don't think that they'll be saved. And if, they, if there is a chance for something to be saved, and maybe, maybe they can be saved, I'll say this, it will be very difficult to be saved. Much more hard than it is now to be saved. But think about this. Let's play like it's the tribulation and the mark of the beast, and you have to have the mark to buy anything. And so he, imagine in your mind, a husband, his wife, and they have three kids. So it's Sunday evening, about six or seven o'clock, and the wife says to the husband, we don't have enough food for the week. And not only that, two of our kids are sick. And one of the ones who's sick has a very high fever. Run down to the Walmart, get us some food, get some Tylenol for this sick kid and some other medicine, whatever they might need. And she gives him a list. And so he goes to the store. He gets all the stuff in his little uh, buggy there. And he's standing in the line. And he stands at the line and getting ready to buy all this stuff. And the person who is to take his money says, I need to see the mark of identification. And he's not even been paying attention to what's going on. And he says, what do you mean the mark of identification? She says, you know, you have to have the mark of identification to buy or sell. Without the mark, I can't sell you anything. You can't, you can't purchase what you want to buy. And she says, it's the, it's, it's the leader of the world. The, the, she's not going to refer to him as the Antichrist. She's just going to say, it's, we're, we're living in a one-world government now, and you have to have the mark everywhere to buy anything. How have you missed out on this? And so he leaves the store with no food, no medicine for his kids, and he goes home and says to the wife, he says, you know, what you had said you had seen on the news the other night, it's true. The world leader's saying now we have to have a mark of identification on our hand to buy anything. And so they begin talking about it, and, but, and the man says to the wife, but in order to get the mark of identification, it's like I have to pledge my ultimate allegiance to this world leader, even above God. And I was always raised to reverence and honor God, and even though this man won't be saved, he's saying, you know, I still don't feel comfortable pledging my ultimate allegiance to this world leader. And she says to her husband, what kind of father are you? 
Here we have sick kids. Here we have no food. If you, what kind of husband are you? If you loved me, if you loved our kids, you'd take whatever mark you had to get to buy us food. And she may say to him, look, I took the mark of identification. I wasn't going to let my kids go hungry. And now you refuse to take the mark because you want to be loyal to some God who you don't even know anything much about. Now you tell me what's that husband going to do? Is he going to say, well, I've got to do what it takes to be a good father and a good husband? Yes, that's what he's going to do. Because, or maybe not, or he may say, I'm going to take my stand, and we're all going to go without food, and the kids are going to be sick, and this is what it costs at this point to follow God. The point I'm making is, it will be much harder to make a commitment to Jesus Christ to to refuse the mark of the beast during the tribulation than it would be to get saved now. Hey, in this room today, if you decide to get saved here in the next 10 minutes and give your heart to Jesus, what are you going to do? You're going to walk down to the front. We're going to have a prayer with you. And people in this room will applaud your decision and pat you on the back. And you'll go home today feeling good. And and there's really not going to be anything negative to come from that. But during the tribulation, if you make that same decision, you won't even be able to buy any food for lunch. And so the point I'm making is, and I think this is the application, the mark of the beast proves that if you reject Christ now, you will most certainly reject Christ during the tribulation. And so you ought to get saved now. Now is the time. Today is the day. In the first service, several people came forward and made their decisions for the Lord. And they did the right thing, and they'll never regret it. Now let's look at the third lesson that we can learn about the mark of the beast. And that is this. The mark of the beast means that when it comes to spiritual matters, you cannot be neutral forever. There is in our world a desire to be neutral, to be politically correct, to be non-offensive. Your religion is as good as mine. I heard a celebrity being interviewed recently. If I called his name, you'd all know him. And the celebrity was asked about his religious belief system. What do you believe about God? What is your religion? And this man said, well, I believe in all the religions. He said, I'm Buddhist. I'm Hindu. I'm Muslim. I'm Christian. I'm all these things. And as I sat there and listened to that, I thought, no, the only thing you are is confused. You can't be Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim, and Christian all at the same time. You have to choose. But see, when you say that to a world out there who's wanting to, that is already moving in a direction of a one world order, that is very acceptable. Nobody is offended if you say, whatever your religion is, that's what I am too. Well, everybody gets along with that. The only problem is it's not true. It can't be right. You can't be all those different religions. You have to make a choice. And during the tribulation, when some people accept the mark of the beast and others who were saved during the tribulation refuse the mark of the beast, it will be obvious who's saved and who's not saved. You see, it's not that obvious today. Again, the wheat and the tares are growing together. Many who are not saved are professing to be saved. And they're saying, Lord, Lord, I've given my heart to Jesus. I believe in Jesus. And yet Jesus said, your faith's not real. It's not genuine. And one day he'll say to those who've never been truly saved, depart from me, for I never knew you. And so, what am I saying? I'm saying you can't be neutral forever. You have to make a choice. We saw this, thankfully, we see it regularly here. But one of the most interesting things that I've seen lately happen two Wednesday nights ago in our Wednesday night worship service in the chapel. It was game seven of the World Series with the, uh, with the Astros and the Nationals. 
And I, I loved it. I mean, the Astros had a great year. I'm, I'm, I wish they could have just won the thing, but they still had a great year. But I've got to say this. I'm kind of glad all those playoffs and everything's over with. All the big games were on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and it was hurting our attendance a little bit. And so I'm just kind of glad it's over. But on this particular night, we had our service. We were about 20% down in attendance, but we still had a, a, a good crowd, just not as much as normal. And I, I, I've been preaching on Wednesday nights about all the windows in the chapel. And on this particular Wednesday night, I was preaching about the cross window. When you first walk in that chapel, you see that beautiful cross and the rays of light, the beams of light coming out of it and how those beams of light represent salvation and healing and everything we need from God. And So I said to the crowd that night, I said, hey, look, I said, uh, tonight I'm going to be preaching about the cross. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. I said, I'm going to stand up here for about 30 minutes and preach a sermon on the cross of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to give an invitation, and we're going to just see if anybody gets saved. And so I did, and when I gave the invitation, a young man came walking down the aisle. I had never seen him before, 21 years old. And he said to me, he said, I want to be saved. I said, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. I said, Jacob, how long have you been coming to First Baptist? He said, this is my very first time. I said, well, who invited you? He said, I invited myself. I guess when he drove by that night and saw the cars in the parking lot, he said, I'm going to go join everybody else who didn't have a ticket for the game at Minute Maid, and we're going to go to church. He said, I've never been here, but I came tonight, and I heard what you said about the cross, and I'm feeling something in my heart. And he said, I want to get saved. And he got saved that night. Now, I'm a big Astros fan, but let me, and I told the crowd that night after that, I told them what had happened. I said, a hundred years from now, it won't make any difference if the Astros, the Nationals, the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Cubs, or who won the World Series, but this fellow's decision he made will matter for all eternity. What did he do that night? He made a decision. He took a stand. He made his choice. And that's what God calls us to do. What did Moses say to the people who were being so rebellious? In Exodus chapter 32, Moses said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. What did Joshua say in in chapter 24 of his book? He said to those people who couldn't figure out which way to go, he said, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your father served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said, you've got to choose. Moses said, you've got to choose. Jesus said, come to me. He's saying, you've got to choose. And yet in our day, people don't want to choose. They choose not to choose. And yet they don't understand when they choose not to choose that they have chosen. They have chosen neutrality, and neutrality is the wrong decision. We're either for Christ or we're against Christ, and during the tribulation, it's going to be very obvious. A few weeks ago, as I was preaching about those chapel windows, I got to the window of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, and I was explaining the window. I said, when we got these windows designed, the, there was a man in San Antonio who designed these windows for us, and every stained glass window he designed, he emailed us a picture and said, if there's anything about this that you want to change, change it. And most all of them, we said, it's perfect. Don't change anything. On that picture of the Jordan River baptism, I, this man was either Presbyterian or Episcopalian. He, he wasn't Baptist. I mean, he had John the Baptist sprinkling Jesus in the Jordan. I said, man, you're going to get us in trouble here with all these Baptists we got to have an immersion scene. And so he, he made it into an immersion scene. I was just explaining baptism. I said to that Wednesday night crowd, I said, you know, Wednesday night, I think that night was the American League Championship Series or something, maybe game one of the World Series. I said, probably everybody here has been baptized. 
You're probably all saved and baptized, come to church tonight. I said, but there may be somebody here who's not. I said, if you've never been baptized, you ought to think about doing it. And I wish you'd call me this week and we'll talk about it. A man named Rick Elder called me. He said, John, my wife Becky and I joined First Baptist sometime back. We love it. He said, I've believed in God all my life. I've loved God all my life. He said, but I've never been baptized. And he said, the other night you started talking about that window and you started talking about baptism. And when you were saying that, God spoke to me and said, what he's saying that people ought to do is what I ought to do. And he said, John, I want to get my baptism scheduled. I want to show you a picture of me very shortly after that baptizing Rick. Look how happy he looked up there, smiling, happy as he can be, doing the right thing. I baptized him two weeks ago tonight. And after I baptized him, there was a lady who came by the church office earlier about that during that same week and she said I want to talk to John and so I talked to her and I've been friends with this lady for a long time her name is Virginia and Virginia said John I've never been baptized and I want to get baptized I said well Virginia we can we can take care of that I said now before we talk about your baptism I want to talk about your salvation are you are you sure that you're saved and I went through it and and at the end, she said, you know, John, I, I really feel confident that I'm saved. But while I'm here, I'd like to just pray with you and just confirm my faith in Christ. Actually, Rick Elder did the same thing with me over the phone. And, and she said, I'd like to just confirm my faith in Christ. And so we prayed, and she confirmed her faith in Christ. And, and then she said, okay, we got her baptism all lined up. She said, now, John, when you get up there to baptize me, she said, I'm 92 years old. She said, I know a lot of people, especially women, don't want people to know how old they are. She said, I want everybody to know I'm glad I made it to be 92, and I want you to tell them. So I told them, I want you to see a picture of me baptized in Virginia. Look at there. She took her stand. She made her choice. She came over on the Lord's side. And in heaven, Moses was saying, yes, you're right, Virginia. Joshua was saying, that's the right thing. And Jesus was saying, Virginia, you've done the right thing. In fact, she was so talkative up there, I didn't think she was ever going to stop long enough for me to baptize her. She just said, John, this is wonderful. I'm so glad I'm finally doing it. What I'm saying is the mark of the beast says to me that there's coming a day when it will no longer be an option to be neutral. You'll either take the mark or you refuse the mark. And if you refuse the mark, you will pay a price. But if you accept the mark, you will pay a greater eternal price, but you can no longer be neutral. And so what I'm saying is, if neutrality will one day no longer be an option, why is it an option now? For those of you who need to choose Christ, I pray today you will choose to receive Him, to give your life to Him, to be saved. For those who've already been saved, but have never been baptized, to come in to say, I'm ready to do what Rick did. I'm ready to do what Virginia did. I'm ready to stand up there in that water, and I'm ready to get baptized. And so today, if there's a decision for Jesus Christ that you need to make, make it now. And you'll never have to be a part of that tribulation. Amen? With our heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I do thank you that through Jesus Christ, you have made it possible for us to be delivered and raptured out of this world before the tribulation ever starts. And we won't have to go through any of this. And yet, Lord, there may be some listening to my voice today who are not ready for the rapture. And they're not sure what would happen to their souls. And God, I pray today that they will be saved now in this dispensation of time. The scripture says, Call, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. God may be found today. Did you know God is near you today? He's in this room. He's in your presence. 
And you can reach out today by faith and receive God. Receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to help you. Pray this prayer all across the room. If you don't know that you're saved, just pray this prayer. Say, Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. And I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. I make my decision. I'm going God's way. I'm off the fence. I have cast my ballot. And I'm voting for Jesus. And I'm trusting him with all my heart. I believe people have prayed that prayer today. Would you now thank him for saving you? Say, Lord, thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Thank you, Jesus. Now listen to me. The next thing God wants you to do is to make that decision public. Jesus said, confess me openly and publicly before men. And then one day I'll confess you before God, before the angels in heaven. Would you ask God to give you courage during this next song to come forward and to share that decision with one of us? We'll pray with you. We'll take you to the decision room, give you some literature that will help you to grow in your Christian faith and get plugged in here at First Baptist. Others here today, you've already been saved, but you've never been baptized. And maybe God is speaking to you. In fact, if you haven't been baptized, I know God is speaking to you. And God is saying, that's what you need to do. You ought to just come forward during this song and say to one of us, hey, I'm ready to schedule my baptism. Maybe for tonight, maybe for next Sunday. Others here today, you've already been baptized. But you feel God leading you as a family, as a student, as a couple, as a single adult. You feel God leading you to come and put your life in this church today. You just feel it in your heart. You ought to be the first to come. If you would come with that decision, others who have these other decisions would look around the room and they'd say, okay, if they can go, I can go. If he can go, I can go. If she can do that, so can I. You would not only be obedient to God if you would come today and join the church, but you would be an escort. You would be an encouragement. You would be an example and a blessing to others here today who have these other decisions that are even more important than joining the church. Father, during this song of invitation time, may there be a freedom here of your Holy Spirit. May there be a freedom. May we do business with you, God. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. And all the people said.